No, is it three? Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Got a lot to share with you this morning. Very important. Want, I always want you to be knowledgeable of what of the of the word of God so you can you can defend the word of God. Not that you have to, but but you know why you do what you do. Probably that's more what I want to get done is I want when you leave here today, you know what you need to do. You understand what the word of God is saying to you. And so you don't misunderstand and when you hear different people talking, you will know what's true and what's not. And so we'll get into that today on this Palm Sunday. We'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth. So Exodus chapter 12, amen, Exodus chapter 12, hallelujah, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read all the way up to verse 15 because this is crucial and very important. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. Let me see how I want to do this. Let me read. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. He shall take it out from the sheep or from the goat and ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it and they shall eat the flesh in that night Roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water. But roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat of it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I shall see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. 
when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall not put away leaven out of your houses. Ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Jesus, have your way this morning. We already sense your presence. We're grateful for your presence. But we know, Almighty God, is only when the praises go up will the blessing come down. We know you inhabit the praises of your people. We know you want to sup with us. We know you want to be in our midst and you want us to, oh God, be, just release ourselves to you. And so I pray this morning that something, something will transpire in our heart that will make us open up and say, Jesus, have your way. But something else will move upon us that we will not be ashamed to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. I want to entitle, you may be seated, entitle our teaching today. <laughs> we like Bible study. Our teaching today. I want to entitle it, Life Through Death. Life Through Death. Life Through Death. Let's go back and look at the scripture. You can put it back up on the board there. The scripture that we read, all of that stuff in in, in chapter 12, verse 12, let's break this stuff down, what it was really saying. He said in chapter 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn. Somebody said, actually, let me go back some more. Let me, let me catch it from the very beginning. Verse 2. Verse 2 says this. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. Now, the Passover, the Passover, the Passover established the first month of Egypt's, I'm sorry, of Israel year. The Passover. So when you try to find out what's the first year on the Jewish calendar, you go to the Passover. The Passover is what established the first month of the year for them. What does that mean to us? When you try to line it all up to see where the Passover is and, and, and when does, how does it compare to our calendar months over here, it's, it's close to the month of April. So in April, when we're celebrating April, the fourth month of the year, on the Jewish calendar, they're just entering the first month of the year for them. This is how bad Jesus is. The Passover is what established their first month. So it says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so now we know how Israel calendar stories. See how spiritual and how God does things. Now always remember as I'm going through this today, remember what I told you. God will show us the physical first before he show us the spiritual next. 
And so all of what we read in Exodus is all physical. It's all natural. It's all of this world. But it has great significance to the spiritual things. So first month of the year, getting established during the Passover. Now I'll tell you what the Passover is. We should have picked up on it. But we'll we'll get that. Jump down to verse 5. Verse 5 says, your lamb shall be without blemish. So God told them they need to sacrifice a lamb. They need to sacrifice, they need to kill a lamb for the Passover. Okay? Need to kill a lamb for the Passover. So it says that you shall select a lamb without blemish. Hmm. Remember that. A male lamb, not just any lamb, a male lamb without blemish. God is being specific. Verse 6, at the end of it, he says, you shall kill it in the evening. So God is saying, a male lamb that you should select out of your, your, your flock, and you shall kill that male lamb in the evening. Why not in the morning? Why not in the noonday, Eric? God says, in the evening. And so, I want you to pay attention to that. Then we jump down to verse 8, and he says, And ye shall, and, and they shall eat the flesh of the lamb in the night, roasted with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. I wonder why he wanted them to eat it with bitter herbs. All important things. All important things. The physical come first. Nine, eat not of it raw or sodden. What he's saying is don't boil it. I don't want you to boil it, cooking it. Don't boil it. No, no, no. I don't want you to boil it. That's what it means by sodden at all with water. He says do not boil it, but roast with fire his head. All you people that can't watch stuff get killed and then they cook it and eat it. I can't watch that. Well, he says roast it with the head on it, with the legs on it, and everything on it. He said roasted whole. That's also important. Hmm. Then you jump down to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And so I wanted you to hear all that because God told his people that was in bondage in Egypt. His people that was in bondage in Egypt. Just like today, if you are in this world and you are not living for God, you are in bondage to this world. God is always showing us the things of the spiritual that we don't catch. If we're living in this world today, this world is a representation of Egypt back then. And if you are a child of God, which we all belong to God, there's not one person that came to this world and didn't come by God. So we all belong to God. But if we're not living for God, then we are in slavery. We are in bondage. We are in captivity in Egypt. And we only can get out if God let us out. 
Egypt was where the children of Israel was. And they were there for 400 years in bondage. 400. And finally, somebody prayed up a storm. Sincerely. They got tired of that world having control over their life. And so somebody prayed and God sent them a deliverer. And we know the deliverer name was Moses. So God is showing them something. But everything God did in the Old Testament had significance to the New Testament. The Passover back in this day will become the Passover for this day. It never stopped. It just came in a different form now. So that's why it's significant to understand. Take us to Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is a week. If you go deep into the scripture, it tells you five days before. It starts breaking it down from seven all the way to the day of the crucifixion. So today represents a week before Christ was crucified for mankind. That's Palm Sunday. A week before Christ was crucified for mankind is Palm Sunday. So now we want to know what Palm Sunday is we know. A week before Christ was crucified is Palm Sunday. So here's how the schedule sets. Palm Sunday, week before he was crucified. Easter Sunday, I'll speak in your language, which is Resurrection Sunday, was a week later. So next week I'll preach to you about Resurrection Today we're going to talk about life through death. And so today is Palm Sunday. We're leading up to the death. Next Sunday, we will talk about the resurrection. So you have Palm Sunday. The death of Jesus Christ was a week later. Palm Sunday was a week before he died. Then after resurrection come Pentecost Sunday. What is Pentecost Sunday? Is 50 days after he rose from the grave or 50 days after he was crucified, he sent his spirit into the heart of people. Palm Sunday, week before crucifixion. Next Sunday, crucifixion. And 50 days after that is Pentecost Sunday. So all the stuff you read in the Bible, what's all that? I just gave you a little understanding there. Now, let's go Again, and look at some of these things we talked about. When he says, down in verse number 5 in Exodus 12, your lamb, the lamb that you pick out, that you're going to kill, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, he shall take it out of the sheep or from the goat. God was telling us, what he was going to do in the future. Eric, you engage here. I'll talk to you. And so what happened was when God says, select a lamb that was unblemished, without spot, without anything wrong with it, he was telling them that the lamb that will die for humankind will be unblemished and will not have any spot, will not have anything wrong. The only person that could or did exist in our world was Jesus Christ who had no blemish. 
And so he was setting us up and letting us know what was to come. That if, if, if you're going to kill that lamb to shed the blood, it's got to be a lamb without blemish. Because the lamb that will come in human form will not have any blemishes. And so he tells them, make sure the lamb don't have. Then it says the first year. So I don't want you to give me a lamb that's two years old or three years old. I only want a lamb that is one year old. One year old. And that's because after a lamb passes one year old, you can't tell what's going to happen to it. A lamb is at its purest form in the first year. So he says, I want a pure one. That's how you're going to at least get a pure one. It has to be one year old. Then it says the firstborn in Egypt. The reason why, well, let me get to the Passover thing. So the reason why they wanted this lamb without blemish is because Jesus was telling them back then that the person, the lamb that will be crucified for you will not have a blemish. Now, it says in verse 6, And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. That's a heavy one right there. Jesus was crucified in the afternoon, in the evening. He didn't miss one detail. We're talking about 4,000 years. This was practiced 4,000 years before Jesus was crucified. But he was telling us something back then without telling us what he was going to do. And so while the children of Israel was given instructions on how to experience eternal life. Well, maybe not eternal life, but to experience life because they was destined to just be messed up. Because the Lord says it's time to kill everybody that's against me. And so he said here. Make sure you kill it in the evening. When you check it, you'll realize Jesus was crucified. He died. The, the, the Bible talked about his death. He died about 3 o'clock. That's evening for the Jews. Remember I told you that the Jews' day consists of 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. Get our minds out of our time. 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. Back to what uh, Brother Hodges said, um, I don't know if it's Friday or yesterday, that he said that all of us need nine hours of sleep to allow sleep to do what it's supposed to do in our life. Nine hours. Now, here is what he said. All of us are going to experience stress. And the only medicine for stress is sleep. There's no other medicine for stress. And they have shown that at one time we thought that there's good stress and bad stress. But that's not true. Stress, whether good or bad in your mind, does the same thing to the body. It depletes the body. So if it's a good stress, that makes you say, wow, this was an elation. I really enjoyed this, but it was stress. That still needs the same remedy as stress that you was just like miserable about. And so... Jesus was, he had nine hours sleep every day. Why? Because they went to bed. They took it, they started taking it down at six o'clock every day. 
They started taking it down. So they got up 6 in the morning. Well, you can say 5 in the morning. So they got up at 5 in the morning. The day didn't get started till 6, and the day got done at 6. How much hours of sleep they were getting? And so we're running around here doing our thing, and we're not getting enough sleep. And so we, we, we want to we wanna minister. Let me say me, because that's pertaining to me. I want to minister and try to do God's will, and I'm not getting nine hours of sleep. I'm trying to be effective in God, and I'm not getting nine hours of sleep. Because in this situation of living for God, we're going to deal with a lot of stress. And the only thing that will help stress is sleep, nine hours of it. So for us to think Jesus just kept running about and just doing all this stuff and he never got rest, oh, we're wrong. Twelve hours is what's in a day for the Jews from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. So when he says kill it in the evening, he was saying kill it between 3 and 6 because Jesus knew when he came as the sacrificial lamb, he was going to be killed between 3 and Then he said, make sure you eat it with bitter herbs. What was that there for? He wanted them to remember the bitterness of their sin being in bondage. When we're in sin, that's supposed to be bitter to us. When you get out of sin, when you get out of, uh, of the grasp of Satan on, on just being just controlled by the devices of Satan, when you get out of that, you're supposed to say, that was bitter. So the bitter herbs represented their bitter past. But the lamb was so sweet when they bit into it, they were supposed to be reminding, reminded of their future. When you get Jesus in your life, you're supposed to be happy about your future. But when you don't have him, you're supposed to be bitter. And oftentimes, we're running around here excited like, oh, you know, we're enjoying sin. Boy. We have missed it if we're enjoying sin. Verse 9, eat not of the raw, eat not of it raw, nor sodden. Don't boil it. You know why he said don't boil it? If you boil it, it's going to somehow just destroy the, 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 the structure. If you boil it, it's going to get broken down. He says, I want you to keep it whole and roast it. I want you to keep it whole. Roasting it will keep it whole. So we, he was telling them, just roast it whole and keep it together. You know why? Because the Lamb of God, the man of God, his name is Jesus, who was crucified for our sins. He knew that he was never going to be broken. He knew he was never going to be destroyed in his body. He knew his body would be whole during the crucifixion. He was teaching them something. Don't break this thing up because I will not be broken up. And if I'm the Lamb of God and that Lamb is going to represent who I am, you got to make sure it's without blemish. you got to make sure it's never broken down or broken up. you got to make sure it stays whole because I'm telling you what will happen when I come to that world. I will give my life for you and nobody will be able to destroy this body. I will still have my hands in the right place. I will still have my feet in the right place, my head in the right place. Nothing, no bones will be broken in my body. I will be totally whole even though I will die for you. 
They wanted to destroy him, but they couldn't because he'd already prophesied. It was already prophesied. It was already done as an example in the Old Testament that the lamb you will choose to sacrifice and get the blood out of it, that lamb will not be destroyed. You need to do it whole. Don't boil it. Roast it. Roasting is good. And so he was telling them something again. Then he said, in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn. In case you don't know the story of why it's firstborn, Pharaoh told Moses about death that will come to their tribe. And Moses told him, you have turned that stuff onto you. Because you said it, that's how you're going to be judged. And they pronounced death to every firstborn child, male. Moses said, Pharaoh, every firstborn male child that, will, that is born in the land of Egypt, even the animals, will die because of the Lord, because of what you said. And so what happened? The firstborn of every male of every home died when the death angel passed through Egypt. They died. Every firstborn male, they died because that's what the last plague was. All the firstborn died. But we don't realize when he said in chapter chapter 12, verse 12, he says, and I will pass through the land this night and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Who was Mary's first child? You didn't know you didn't know she had other children? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus opened the womb. He was the first child. She had other kids. See how specific God is? He knew he would be the one to open the womb of Mary as the firstborn. He was the firstborn she had. And so the firstborn opened the womb of Mary, and the firstborn was the sacrificial lamb for us today. God is no joke. For us to take it for a joke, we realize he's not a joke. The stuff that he prophesied, the stuff that he does, who can be that accurate? Who can be that precise? Only God. And so the firstborn, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, little g, of Egypt, will all be executed. The Lord says, I will do it. And in verse 13, he says, and the blood shall be a token upon the houses where ye are. So here's the Passover. For you all that know it, just give me a minute to explain it. And for you all that don't know it, I can explain it. The Passover was this. The children of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. And they got tired of being slaves because they were slaves in Egypt. In our world today, when you're living in sin, you're a slave to sin. You can like it or not. I say it all the time. When I was not a Christian, I drank all the time even when I didn't want to drink. 
I'm a slave to it. Some of us were smokers. We smoked all the time, even when we didn't want to smoke. Some of us are partiers. We partied all the time, even when we didn't want to party. Some of us was drug dealers. We sold drugs all the time, even when we didn't want to sell drugs. You are a slave to sin when you're living outside of God. You want to stop sometimes. I teach at the prison, and when I go to the prison to minister there, I can look in every man's eye, and every man I can see. I can't remember too many places, too many guys that I look at that says, you don't really care. But most of the men, when I look in their eyes, I can see that they realize the great mistake they have made and wish they could reverse it. It meant that the life that they were living was controlling them. They did not want to live that way. Their life controlled them and they just submitted to it. When you're living in sin, you're a slave to sin. As a Christian, you're not a slave to sin. You fall into sin. Sin don't rule your life every day. But if you're not living for God, you're sinning even when you don't want to. When you're a Christian, you don't have to sin. Yeah, you'll make a mistake here and there, but you don't have to live in it when you're a Christian. And so he says, and the blood shall be a token upon the houses. So he told them, when you kill that lamb, put a blood, put, put, use um, what, what they call it, hyssop, and, and rub the blood on one post and the other post and then over top of it. And he says, I'm going to cause the death angel to pass through all of Egypt where my people are. And as the death angel is passing, for every door, every house that had the blood there, I will not kill the firstborn. But every blood, every house that have a firstborn male that don't have the blood, I'm killing that firstborn. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you this. You know what's good news about that? They started being mixed marriages. Jews and Egyptians. And so there were some people there that weren't Jews that was in households that was not going to die because they was in the house where the blood was. And so the death angel passed through and passed over. This is where the word Passover come from and passed over every home that did not that did have the blood on the two posts and the top posts. Passed over every one of those homes. The blood. That then was the thing that saved them from destruction. Blood, blood, blood. And so when the death angel come, they got saved. Every other firstborn, every firstborn of every home that didn't have that blood died that night. There was a great cry throughout all of Egypt of people crying that their firstborn died. Screaming, wailing, because firstborn, even Pharaoh firstborn died. And so that became the day known as the Passover, meaning that God passed over the homes that had the blood and the ones that didn't, people died in that house. That's the Passover. That's what God is trying to get us to understand. Now, it's amazing that the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the blood, 
we cannot be forgiven of sins. Isn't that amazing? That back then, Jesus shed his blood, was showing us something, and we didn't catch it then. The lamb's blood at that time, he allowed it to be the, 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 the blood that he will recognize to pass over. But he knew he was coming one day in the form of a man to shed his own blood, and that will be the blood that saved all of us today. Mm. And so, he passed over. And many people were killed, and, and, and the ones with the blood were saved. And he said in verse 15, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And so he said that we need to keep the Passover. Told the Jews back then, keep the Passover. So, as I mentioned to you Thursday, this week that's coming up is the most holy week in all of our world. The most holy week in all of our world, this week that's coming up. Every religion is celebrating something this week that's coming up. What you're celebrating is the death of Jesus Christ. That's what you're celebrating. That's what you are recognizing is the death of Jesus. So while some, the Jews, are celebrating the Passover, you're going to be celebrating the death of Jesus Christ because he died for us. The sacrificial lamb, he died for us. That's what we're celebrating. But the bottom line is understand that he's always been the one preserving us. God has always been the one preserving us. And so today, Palm Sunday, we're not at the Passover yet. Remember, Passover is the crucifixion. When God was crucified, that was the Passover day. So we're looking at next Sunday as the Passover. Today is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is the Passover, if you will. But really, it's the crucifixion. And so that's what we're looking at. So Jesus, God outline all of this through the Old Testament, knowing that he was going to prove it and show it all, manifest it, reveal it in the New Testament. So now that I got that out of the way, let's move to the New Testament and see now what this is all about. And I'll take you to the ending or the middle of the story, and we'll pick the story back up next Sunday. John chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day... Much people that were come to the feast. <laughs> what feast are they talking about now? The feast of the Passover. So when you read in the Bible now, you understand when they're talking about the feast, they're talking about the Passover. They're talking about the Passover here. So they came to the feast. They came to celebrate that week. Remember he said, for a memorial, always the week. Celebrate a whole week of what was done for you. The lamb that was sacrificed for you. Now, moving forward, since that's happened, moving forward, I want you to always celebrate that week for what had happened. For the lamb that was slain. This is back in the Old Testament. The lamb that was killed and the blood applied so you can be saved. Always remember that and celebrate that. So, when we're reading now, when Jesus came on the scene, he's getting ready to die for us. Guess what? He 
did it strategically. Jesus had it scheduled to say, I'm going to die during the week where everybody will be assembled to celebrate Passover. He knew they would celebrate Passover because he told them and they continued to celebrate Passover. We're talking about 4,000 years since he did that. So 4,000 years later, they're still celebrating Passover. So he said, okay, I'm going to make sure when I come, I'm going to come during that week of Passover. I'm going to die. I'm sorry. I'm going to die during that week of Passover. And so the week of Passover was coming. And Jesus knew his death was close because he knew he was going to die on Passover. He was going to die on the day they was really starting to celebrate the whole thing. So the time came. The time was upon him. We read in the Bible, if you, if, if you dig a little bit and, and, and look around, you'll see that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that was right before Passover. It was the week before Passover, maybe a couple weeks before Passover. But, but the point is, Jesus knew that in order to show and demonstrate what was going to be done, he had to stir some stuff up. What do I mean by that? Jesus started doing some miracles, right? Leading up to his death, he started doing great things. And one of the great things he did was rose Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus rose from the grave and came out, and the grave clothes was off him, and now Lazarus was living. Now, understand this. Jesus was so powerful that they was uncomfortable with him. Our world don't want anybody that has supernatural power that don't come from this world. They don't want to accept him because if someone is walking this earth that got supernatural power, our government is going to try to shut them down. Government's supposed to have the control, not, not no person having no supernatural power. So understand that in that day, Jesus was raising people from the dead. He was casting out diseases. Uh, he was laying hands on people and they were healed. And so everybody that was the government started having issues with that. Hold on now. This is not good. This man is out of control. We got to figure out a way to stop him. But the more they try to stop Jesus, the greater his, the greater his fame went about. The more people was just like, man, this Jesus, he's just so amazing. And they, the more they try to stop him, the more his fame just was spreading. And so a week now out before he dies, he's doing his thing. And so now it's time for him as the scripture prophesy, that it's time for him now to enter Jerusalem as their king. And so now we're in John chapter 12. And so John chapter 12 is going to tell us, if you read from verse 1 all the way to 12, you, it, this is the passage of scripture that's, tell, that's telling us about him coming into Jerusalem as their king, which was prophesied. On the next day, verse 12, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so people heard Jesus is coming, guess what? They said, man, we better go and see what the story is all about. What is he going to do now? They took branches. You got some palm branches. That's what it's talking about. That's why you got the palm branches. So when Jesus was coming to town, they took palm branches. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And cried, Hosanna, 
Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. I'm still at the point where I am hoping and praying for the day when when we can think about Jesus Christ. We don't have to look to the left or to the right. We will just worship him. We will just praise him. We will just begin to put ourselves back in that time, Brother Darrell. Listen, man, here is this all-powerful, all-knowing God. I mean, he's amazing. And when I can think of him, that's why the songwriter says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done, my soul cries out oh hallelujah thank God for saving me he had a plan from the day he created us in the garden of Eden when Adam messed up and Eve messed up he had a plan knowing they would mess up and he never stopped trying to redeem us if you think about this whole plan that God has put together, you will just be in amazement and begin to worship him and begin to adore him and begin to praise him because he brought us into this world that we can have life and that we can have relationship with him. And he's always made a way for us so we can have eternal life. Oh, God is amazing. He's amazing. You are not just here by accident. You're not just here today for just being in church. But God had a plan. He knew you before you was formed in the belly, in the womb of your mother. He knew it. He knew it. He had a plan. He had a plan, and he is, he is so just strategic. He is so technical. He is so together. He is so timely. He is just right on time. He knows what he's doing. How can anyone but God have such a strategic plan to say, 4,000 years ago, when they did this, he said, I would just, I was going to make a plan to save my people and pull them out of slavery from bondage and pull them out from serving false God. I'm going to save them. But here is how I'm going to save them. How did he come up with such a plan of how he would save them back then? How did he come up with such a plan? And the plan had to go with what he knew he would do 4,000 years later. We're 6,000 years removed from all of this. But when he died, they were 4,000 years removed from the Passover. And so he came. It's getting kind of hectic now because he knew he was on his way to death for me and you trying to get us out of sin, trying to get us from living a life that, that, that we're, 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 just, we're just in slavery. Whether we want to like it or not, if you're not living for God, you're being controlled by your sins. You're in slavery. I knew I was there. I was in slavery. I had control. Sin had control of me. And I wanted to get out and couldn't get out. Didn't know how to get out. 
If it wasn't for God sending somebody to tell me how I can get out, I couldn't get out. You can't get out unless somebody told you. And we have to tell somebody if they want to be saved, Jesus is the way. They can't get out from where they are. Nobody wakes up and say, I'm going to get saved today. God was doing something in their life. God was speaking to them. God had somebody talking to them. Nobody gets up and says, oh, I'm going to get saved because we don't know how to. How many times we say, I'm done with this. I can't tell you how many times I lay in my bed on my back after drinking all night long and the, the ceiling spinning. I said, I can't do this no more, man. My goodness. I mean, it was good while I was in the club and everything was going good and I'm rocking and everything is nice. But man, to lay in my bed and watch the ceiling spin, that's crazy. Wake up in the morning and I'm just, I'm dehydrated and I'm still, alcohol coming out of my pores and I'm still like, don't feel good. And you know, I don't know about you, but if you mess with the ghetto um, situation, some of y'all don't know nothing about that. You go to you go to the corner store, Trump, you don't know nothing about that. You go to the corner store and you get a hoagie and some chips and a Pepsi. That's what you get for hangover. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all don't know nothing about that. I don't know, Brother Sam, I don't know if you know, but but I'm just telling you, when you're hanging in the in, in the hood and you wake up with a hangover, that's the first thing you get when you wake up. A hoagie, some chips, and a Pepsi, not Coke. Uh-huh. Maybe you'll catch that. Not Coke, Pepsi. That's what you get in the hood when you're trying to get over a hangover. But we still the next evening. Yo, let's go. We still do it. We was controlled by our sins. Sin had us. We can lie all we want. Sin had us. Some of us, we know we don't want to smoke. After a while, you started out, when you started out, you're like, all right, not bad. But after a while, you're like, man. Because now people pass like, man, I smell some smoke. People make their faces, all kind of stuff. And so you realize, I'm tired of smoking. But you can't stop. Sister, you messing with some dude you know is no good. You know he no good. But you can't stop. Sin had us. And the only way we're going to get out is if somebody tell us about Jesus and understand what Jesus has done for us. That's how we're going to get out. And so he started, he, they, they, they got palm branches. They knew he was coming to town. Man, we have the privilege for Jesus to live inside of us. We're supposed to wake up every day and do Hosanna. We're supposed to wake up every day and praise and bless God because now we don't have to go to a place to meet him. He is living inside of us. You get baptized with the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go to a place. You just know he's in me. Hosanna. They took branches. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what they did. They took branches. And they, Hosanna. 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 And they waved their palm branch. Hosanna. 
Hosanna. They waved their palm branch because they was impressed. They, they knew who their king was. I don't know about you, but I know my king. And I pray some of you know my king too. But I'm, I don't need anybody to help me worship my king. I'm going to worship him whatever way that I can. If I can wave my palm branch and say, Hosanna, I want to take part in everything. I don't know about you. When I went to Israel, I was so elated. I was so happy. I was full of joy because I love God. I want to participate and be a part of everything that he does. I know he created me for this time, but I wish I was in that time because I love God and I want to be a part of everything God is doing. Hosanna. Oh, hallelujah. I want him to know I worship him. I want him to know I praise him. There's nobody that's going to make me feel bad about how to worship God, how to praise God. I don't care what it looks like. Hosanna. That's what they did when he started riding in. As they shouted Hosanna, which means praise God. You can either say Hosanna or you can say praise God. I hope you're getting something out of this today. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying to you. Hosanna. Hosanna. You're praising God. So praise God. Listen to this. Israel thought that their conquering king had finally come. They knew they were waiting on a Messiah. And they thought their conquering king had finally come to liberate them from the Roman rule. Don't you worry about the government and what they're doing. Always remember, we're supposed to have a higher standard than what this world is teaching or what the laws of this world when we start complaining about the laws of this land forget about that my standards are higher than their standards and so they 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 thought here that their messiah finally was coming and he was going to overthrow the roman rule god don't do stuff like that he didn't come to throw over no roman rule watch it they believe that the one who was prophesied about israel's king that's who was prophesied, was coming now. They finally realized because, you know, the momentum was building. Man, Jesus, he must be the Messiah. So they, they finally start thinking, this is the Messiah. Look what he's done. Look how people are drawn to him. And so they started saying, that's the Messiah. So because they thought he was the, 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 the Messiah, they began to reach out to him. So they started worshiping and saying, oh, man, the king, Hosanna. And they started praising him. They started praising him. They were sure he was the national leader who would restore their nation to the former glory. So they were deaf to the words of the prophet and they were blind to the real mission of Jesus. When it became apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, many people turned against him. This is how it all went according to his plan. What was happening was everybody, because Israel always believed that they was going to get a physical king, physical, not a spiritual king. They thought they was going to get a physical king in order to restore the government of their country. And so the Messiah that they read about, that was prophesied about, was supposed to be that king that will come and physically restore. Where they messed up at, they should have known. 
when they had a spiritual king, if you know your Bible, they didn't want a spiritual king. Holy Ghost here. Israel had a spiritual king at the beginning. But then they looked around and watched all the other countries and said, we want a king like that country got a king. And that's where King Saul came in. Because they wanted a physical king. So they had a spiritual king. They didn't want that. And so they went back to still holding on to physical king. And so when Jesus is coming into to power now and they watching all the great miracles, they like, oh, we want a spiritual, we want a physical king. We want a king that's going to rule and set order back in Israel. And when they realized that Jesus was only going to be a spiritual king, they got mad at him. This is why it was easy to say, crucify him. Remember they say it's his own people that got him crucified because they wanted him to serve their own purpose. And when he didn't serve their own purpose, they rejected him. People, I got to tell you, we got to be better than that. We can't only want people to be our buddies and encourage people and be good friends with people when they serve our purpose. We got to treat people with love whether they serve our purpose or not because this is what happened to the children of Israel because Jesus came to be a spiritual king. They rejected him because they wanted a physical king. So they got mad and they rejected him. Crucify him. They was good with that. And so they wanted Jesus to be crucified because he would not be what they wanted him to be. And so they had the palm branches. Hosanna. Hosanna. As he come into Israel, come into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was riding on a donkey coming into, again, why didn't he ride on this big white horse? He wanted to show humility. It was all about humility for him. And so he rode in and came on his little donkey. Because the time was near for him to die. The time was near for him to die. And so he rode in. John chapter 12 verse 20. And I'm almost done here. John chapter 12 verse 20 says, And there were certain Jews among them that came up to worship at the feast. That word feast again. The same came therefore to Philip which was at Bethsaida of Galilee. And desired him saying, sir, we would, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip came and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. This points out that it wasn't just the Jews that had came to the Passover festival. Other people, the Greeks, Gentiles was there because anytime people unfortunately. Anytime people think that they can go somewhere and get something for themselves, we show up. We show up when we think there's something in it for us. But if we don't think there's something in it for us, ah, that can wait. And so all kind of people showed up because they wanted to see this Jesus who rose Lazarus from the grave, who can do all these great, wonderful things. They didn't understand it, but they wanted to be there. And so Andrew and them, Andrew and Philip told, told Jesus, people from all over has come they want to see you and this is what happened this is jesus's response and jesus answered them saying the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified 
the hour has come where the Son of Man should be glorified. What are you talking about, Jesus? The hour for you to die has come and you're going to be glorified? We don't understand that. Hmm. He said, he went on and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Only through death can anyone be glorified. We seek the praise of man. We seek to be recognized. We seek to be special. We seek to be known because that's just how we are. But you will never truly, in the eyes of God, be glorified without death. Only death will cause you and me to be glorified in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you want to experience the praises of man, if you want to experience everybody saying, oh, this first is this and this, oh, go ahead and do whatever you know. You, you know how to do so you can be recognized by man. It's up to you. I don't want to be recognized by man. Man can't get me to heaven. Man can't bless me. Only God alone can bless me. And so if nobody recognizes me, I'm okay. If I can stay in the cut and nobody see me, I'm okay. But if God can be glorified through my death, that's what I want. I want to be glorified through death. So if that means God, whatever I got to do to be glorified, that's what I want. But it's through death. It's through death that you will reckon, you will be recognized. It's through death where you will experience the glory of the Lord. What they said, part of our teaching yesterday. We will know a little about you when you win and things are going real good for you. We will know all about you when you lose and things are going against you. Now think about that. So death is where true characteristics come out of you. It's when you die, when you lay down your life, is when your real characteristics come out. When times are good and you're doing good, we'll see a little bit of your characteristics. But when hard times come, when trouble come your way, when you're fighting against things, uh, when things are coming against you, uh, when people are talking about you, uh, when you're sick in your body, when things are just wrong, uh, that's when we find out who you really are. And when death was coming to the way of Jesus Christ, uh, that's when uh, we come to know who he really is. Uh, and if we're going to be like Jesus, uh, it's when we're going through that we will demonstrate true character. Death is what will cause us to be glorified in heaven. Jesus' death becomes our only way to life. Jesus' death would lead to glory and life for him and also for all those who believe in him. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Hmm. 
What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a physical body. It is raised as a spiritual body. Except a grain of wheat. This is the only condition for a seed to be valuable. Except it dies. Yet as a tiny seed may produce a majestic tree because in the seed is a germ of life. That is why Jesus said, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. One grain of wheat when sown can produce a whole crop. How do you think our houses are built? How do you think ships are built? How do you think structures are built? If trees never die, we don't have homes. That death thing is really important. If you don't lay down your life, you can never be anything. The tree only became a house because it got chopped down and died. If we're going to be anything in God, we're going to have to die. If we stay who we are, we will never be anything in God. We will never bear fruit. We will never produce fruit if we stay who we are. If Jesus didn't die, where would we be today? Except a grain of wheat die, it abided by itself. That refer or reference right to God, Jesus Christ. If he didn't die, he would be all by himself. Why? He's holy, he's righteous, and only holy and righteous people can he have relationship with. If he didn't die, we would all remain in our sins and we couldn't have fellowship with him. He would be alone. <laughs> I don't know if y'all caught that. The scripture says, except a grain of wheat go into the ground and die, Brother Tony, it abided alone. God, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, is that grain of of wheat. And if he, with all his power, because he had the power to not die, if he, with all his power, says, I ain't dying. I'm just going to use all my power to stop everybody from coming against me. I'm going to shut it down. I'm not dying. If he would have never died, he would never had the opportunity to have eternal relationship with those that will obey him. He would be in heaven by himself with nobody to fellowship with, with nobody to have relationship with because he can't have relationship with ungodly people. He can't have relationship with unholy people. He can't have relationship with people that is not obeying him. So if he didn't die, all of us would remain in our sins. 
all of us would be unholy. All of us would be unrighteous, and he couldn't have relationship with us. So if he didn't die, he would be by himself for all eternity. So he said, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abided alone. And so for me and you today, except we die, we will not produce anything bigger than us. You will not be able to produce anything bigger than you if you don't die. When a woman is pregnant and carrying a child, it's almost like she's walking in death. That child that she's bearing or those children that she's bearing is who have the life. And they come out and they're, they come out and they become something. If we don't die, nobody else can live. And we're talking about spiritually now. God is not asking you to physically die. What he's asking you to do is deny yourself so somebody else can live. What God is asking you is to stop trying to get what you want all the time. Stop trying to be who you want to be all the time. Stop trying to do everything you want to do all the time. Stop trying to buy everything you want to buy all the time. Stop trying to live the way you want to live all the time. He's saying, can you start denying yourself? Because except you die, you abide alone. And many people are lonely right now because they are trying to hold on to their life. Oh, I'm trying to make sure I, I, I got I to gotta do what I got to do. You know, I got I to gotta keep on working. I got to keep on doing because you're trying to make sure you're good. And as long as you try to make sure you're good, you will be alone. And you'll get old and you'll be alone and you'll wonder, man, people don't care. People don't love me. All I did, all of what you did, you lived your life for you. You better start looking at your life and say, am I living for me or am I living for Jesus? Because if you're living for you, you're going to be a lonely old woman, a lonely old man if you live to get old. And you're going to be miserable because you never died that somebody else can live. This is spiritual I'm talking about. I'm not telling you to physically die. I'm telling you when you deny yourself, when you deny what you want and says, I am going to do what Jesus wants. When you do that, you will begin to produce fruit. You will begin to live good life. You will begin to just grow. You will begin to produce. But it's only when you die. We can't produce anything until we die. That's the only time we can produce anything. There's something inside of you like any seed. Tom and all your smart people can explain this to y'all. But when you die, what happens is you give the germ that's in you that's supposed to be good. You give it an opportunity to birth more of you. To experience reproduction, you're going to have to die. If you don't die, you're going to be alone. We read this morning in Sunday school, and I'm closing, that... John chapter 15, verse 2, I believe, said, The branch that beareth no fruit, he's going to cut it off. He's going to get thrown in the fire. Because God don't have time for selfish people. 
because he was not selfish. He always, from the very beginning, made a way for us. He sacrificed his life for us. He gave his life for us. You read Isaiah 53. He says he was a lamb for the slaughter. He always, he's always lived his life for us. He created us. And he made sure he provides for us. It's always been about us since the day he brought us here. And we won't make it about him. It's hard to come to church. It's hard to come to prayer meeting. It's hard to do this. Oh, I was doing that. Oh, this came up. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I hate when I got to say those things, but that's what God want me to say. Because I don't want you to feel guilty. That's not my job. My job is to teach you God's word and you respond to God's word. But we always got excuses. It's always stuff coming up. We always put stuff. Anytime you put stuff before God, you're not dying. Anytime you make stuff more important than God, you're not dying. Stand with me. The last, one of the last things that I remember Brother Hodges said, he kind of messed up my theology, but then I realized he didn't really mess it up. I had to stop and think about it for a second. And you know, I've taught over the years that the order of people is God, family, ministry, your secular job or whatever. And so Brother Hodges says, according to the word of God, the order of people is salvation and ministry. He said, ministry comes before family. And you know, I wanted to lose my mind. I said, no, 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 no. But he explained it. And I said, that's right. Ministry come before family. But this is how we set it up, Cheryl. He said, the very first thing we need to be concerned with as people is our relationship with God. That's the, that's the, only, that's the number one thing every person needs to be concerned about is where is your relationship with God? Are you in a position that you know if God returns, you're good, or if you die, you're good? Where is that relationship? That's the first thing you need to be concerned about. Then he said, Ministry is the second thing. I said, man, ministry? No, man. Then he said, the reason why ministry is the second thing, because ministry is this, helping others have a relationship with God. That's ministry. Helping others have relationship with God. And then he finally got to where I needed him to get to. He said, and your family is supposed to be the first ministry in your life. So I said, all right, you're saying the same thing I'm saying. You just went around a different way. And that is our first responsibility is to make sure we have a relationship with God. Our second responsibility is to make sure our family have a relationship with God. Then all the peripheral stuff can come afterwards. How you serve in the kingdom of God. Those things are afterwards. But your very first responsibility is to make sure you have a relationship with God. And in doing so, 
Anybody in here been to heaven? Anybody been to heaven in here? Anybody met anybody that's been to heaven? No? You never met anyone that went to heaven? Okay. Well, here's why I brought that up. Tony, unless I've been to heaven and came back, I don't know all that I have to do to get to heaven. I I see what the word says. But I'm going to OD, as they like to say, in trying to get to heaven. I'm going to OD. I'm not going to just casually try to get to heaven. I'm going to OD, Eric. I'm going to go above and beyond because I always said, God will not tell me, Wayne, why are you doing so much for me? But there could be a situation where I'm not doing enough. He will never tell me I'm going overboard. Why are you serving me so much, Wayne? Why are you giving me all your heart? Why do you just want to do everything for me? I don't think he'll ever say that to me. But he will nudge me and says, yo, dude, you need to step it up. Because unless you do dust, dust, and dust, it ain't happening. And so I'm telling you today, Jesus gave everything. So today, you can come to church. Jesus gave everything so you're able to live. And that's why I've entitled our message today, Life Through Death. It's not until you die will you live. It's not until you die that somebody else will live. It's only through death will you experience real life. And when you keep forcing and pushing to get your way, trust me, you're still living. You're not dying. I'm going to invite you today to just for a moment step forward if you can and come to this altar and respond to God's word in whatever way you can. You come and you respond to God by talking to him. I've explained to you what he has done for you. I've explained to you what he has done so you can have eternal life. Now you communicate with him. Now you commune with him. You converse with him. You reach out to him. You respond to his word. Because that's what it's about. You're going to grow. You're going to experience a deeper relationship with God by just coming to the altar in faith and saying, God, I I get the full picture now. I understand it now. I now know what you're doing. (laughs) And so today, Lord, I want to come. I need to confess some things to you. Not that you don't know it, but when I confess it, it, it just, it just, it, it, it loose me. It, 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 it just let me go because I confess it to you, Lord God. And when I confess it to you, your blood is applied to my life and it's removed from me. So today I've come, Lord God, to confess some things. I've come to let you know I want relationship. I've come to let you know, God, uh, I, I know and understand now that I have to die. Now I understand what dying mean. Now I understand it. Uh, I just got to trust you, Lord God. God is wanting you to trust him. How you trust him is by dying to all of what you want. The Lord says, if you delight yourself in him, He will give you the desires of your heart. You don't have to be afraid to give your life to God. You don't have to be afraid to die to yourself. Because all that you will desire of the Lord, He will see you through. He will make sure you receive it. But you got to die like He died. 
If you're going to be glorified, you've got to die like he died. If you're going to experience abundant life, you've got to die like he died. If you're going to experience all the blessings of God and great relationships and see your family saved and see your loved ones saved and see your relatives saved and see your neighbors saved and see your schoolmates saved and see your co-workers saved, you've got to die. You, you can't press your way. You, you, can't, you can't have your way. You got to say, God, not my will, but thine will be done. You got to say, God, I surrender to you and I want your will to be done in my life. You got to say, God, I die today to my own fleshly desires. For in my flesh there is no good thing. In me that is in my flesh there is no good thing. And so today, Lord God, I surrender to you. I lay myself before you. I, Lord God, give my life to you. And from this day on, I live to please you and not myself. I live to worship you and not anything else. I live to love you and not anyone else. Will you allow God to take control of your life? Will you allow 